Living the Word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what He wants to say to us. LivingTheWordToday.com Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Today we continue our series with the title Habakkuk, Learning to Live by Faith. And certainly he's been learning this along as we've journeyed with him through these three chapters. And today we get to the part where he really uh, gets to the point of living by faith. And in this journey... He, he comes to the place where he experienced spiritual refreshment and emotional healing, all due to his encounter with God in this book. If I were to say to you, and I've already spoiled the, the surprise, if I were to say to you, I want to share with you how you can have spiritual refreshment and emotional healing, would you sign up for that? Would, you, would that be a seminar you'd like to take part in? Probably most of us would say yes. Well, you can take part in it because we're going to learn, walk along with this one. Now, we can't have the same experience he had because God's spoke to him. God interacted with this prophet in a very unique, special, personal way. But fortunately, it's recorded for us in the text that Habakkuk has written and has now been preserved all of these 2,600 years. So we can open our Bible. We can walk along with him today so that we can walk along in his journey and experience what he experienced. Now, we'd all like to have that kind of confidence, wouldn't we? That kind of confidence that no matter what's happening in the world, we, we just kind of walk with, with our God and everything is good. And as you think about this, this book, let me just give you a very brief review. Chapter 1 is a dialogue between him and God where he says, Lord, our nation is in a mess. There's corruption everywhere. When are you going to do something? And God gives him an answer. In your days, I'm going to do something. If you heard about it, you would not believe it. It's going to be so overwhelming. And he announces that he's going to send Babylon, these wicked people, to come into Israel, into Judah, and he's going to have his judgment upon them, his wrath upon them. So then he comes back with a second question. Thank you for answering my question. But now I'm even more mystified. Why would you use people more wicked than we to judge we who are wicked? How does this work? And in chapter 2 we have, and by the way, there are two, there's three literary forms in this book if you're interested in literature. The first one is this dialogue, this back and forth communication, chapter 1. Chapter 2 is what the literary form is that of a, a dirge, a funeral dirge, a, a lament if you will heavy with sorrow and remember the three woes the three promises and the five woes that we looked at two weeks ago we took the week off last week for communion but we looked at those so it's all heavy it's all it's all laden with that but then it ends with his words of triumph the last few ver last verse i should say of chapter two woe but excuse me but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him just keep silence and then chapter three we've had this uh this dialogue and this dirge, now we come to this place where we have what we would call a doxology, a worship statement. If you look at it in your text, no matter how it's translated, how it's printed, at least chapter 3 is printed this way. It's printed like a psalm. In fact, it sounds very psalm-like because it says in verse 1, chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on the Shigonoth. Now, maybe you're wondering what a Shigonoth is. Would you be interested in knowing? Well, I'm going to give you an answer. I don't have any idea. 
and frankly, neither does anyone else. There's, a, there's some guesses out there, and commentators have to fill in something with something. But it's probably a notation of music, probably a notation of this is the style we sing it, or this is the tune we sing it, or this is the feeling you have with it. And if you look down through, like after verse 3, you see the word selah. After verse 9, you see the word selah. After verse 13, you see the word selah which is also a musical annotation which you see often in the psalm. So this is a psalm. It's a prayer. It's a psalm. It's a, a doxology to call us to worship. So it's interesting in three chapters, three literary forms that he takes us through. Now he's heard all these things about the purposes of God and what he's doing. And he sets it in song and he says, here's my prayer. Verse 2, it begins. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, for a prayer, he doesn't ask for too many things. In fact, all the petitions, all the requests that you find in this prayer, anywhere in the book of Habakkuk, is found in verse 2. He said, Lord, I've heard your speech, and this is my reaction. I am scared. I am fearful. I'm afraid. Because he knows judgment is going to come upon his people because of their sins. With that in mind, he comes to this place where he says, I have this emotional reaction. He asks, says, Lord, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of your ears. He asks for God's power to be at work. He does not specify exactly what it is that he wants God to do. I mean, he's all, God's already told him that judgment is going to fall, that Judah is going to be punished, that Judah is going to be chastened for their years and years and decades and decades of, of, of disaffection with God, of their disobedience to God. So with that in mind, he comes to this point where he says, Lord, do your work. In your time, do your work. Oh, re oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In my lifetime and when the time is right, you do what you do. I call for your power. So he asked for power, and secondly, he asked for pardon. In the midst of the years, middle of verse, or end of verse 2, make it known, in wrath, remember mercy. God's the only person, by the way, that gets the correct balance and gets the mix right between mercy and wrath. All are parts of his character, all parts of who he is, all are parts of what he needs to bring to bear into this world and into our world. He says, Lord, I ask for your pardon, that there will be mercy in the midst of your wrath. And he's probably thinking there about the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the covenant with Moses and the promise to Joshua to inherit the land and all those sorts of things. And he comes to this point where he says, Lord, I ask that you be at work. And then verse 3, all the way through verse 16 he does something very interesting and this is the first advice I want to give you there's really two steps, there's two stages in his journey from fear to faith and you see fear very much in play there in verse 2 he comes to a statement of faith in verses 17, 18, 19 the end of this song there's two stages, first of all and this is the advice I want to give you and certainly the advice I want to give to myself, we need to stop looking toward trouble and look toward our help in other words, it's as if God is hinting to him, you can spend too much time staring at all your problems. You can put too much concentration on all the things that are wrong. You can easily identify and pick out in this world all the mess that's out there. And that's accurate. We don't want to bury our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's going on. We don't want to pretend like that, that there isn't problems in the world. We don't want to put on our, our rose-colored glasses and color all of our thinking in some sort of artificial way. He says, don't look just at your trouble, but look toward our place of help. And that, of course, is in God. Someone has said it this way. And I, the Internet was not helpful to me to give an attribution who actually said this for the first time. There's about four different people that claim this quote is their own. 
The quote says this, Don't tell God how big your troubles are. Tell your troubles how big your God is. Whoever said it, thank you for the, thank you for the quote. But we so we, our troubles are big, but you know what? God is always bigger. And that's what he begins saying. Now, he begins this in verse 3, and this is how he's looking toward his help, all right? God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. By the way, Selah just means probably, as best we can tell, stop and think about what you just read or what you just said or what you just sung. It's sort of a pause. It's sort of a rest in the midst of the musical score that's going on. So this is the first rest. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, if you don't know, who, don't know where Teman is and Mount Paran is, you're going to have some trouble. And if you allow me just to condense this into a very tiny little geography lesson, that is down in the Sinai Peninsula. That's down where they were when the covenant was made between God and Israel in the time of Moses. Think Mount Sinai. Think Ten Commandments. Think about the wanderings in the wilderness, okay? It's in that region. So the, the, problem, the problem was coming from the north. The Babylonians were going to come down from the north and invade Judah and destroy it. He says, rhetorically, he says in speech, look the other direction. Look to the south. Look toward Paran. Look toward uh, Teman. Mount Paran is a mountain that's associated with this same area of Teman. He says, go back to my connection with you. This connection to the Almighty that he's talking about in this passage. You go back to that. Let's go back. to. Don't look at your problems. Look at me. Here's what he says. Middle verse 3, the glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. All of this is the story of God showing up on Mount Sinai. It's all and all the ramifications of it. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. That takes you kind of back to Egypt. Remember those plagues that rained down on Egypt. Think back, think back into the past. Think back into the past of, of where you were back there and what I was saying and what I was doing. Think about me. Think about my glory. It says, he stood and measured the earth. He looked, and this is verse 6 now. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and, and startled nations, and everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. The, his ways are everlasting. The mountains shook. Everybody that was around that area were moved with the reality that there was something supernatural going on with those Jews that were camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai. They knew that they had re reached their freedom from Egypt because of all the plagues and all the mighty hands of God. So all this stuff is going on. It's in the background. He says, Habakkuk, think about me. And, and Habakkuk goes down this trail and he goes back to think about what is going on. Now, for us, we might say, well, if we're going to think back into our past... We're going to think back about what God has done for us. We could probably, excuse me, go back to the, the, the covenant. But there's probably a few markers as New Testament believers that we would mark out as well. We might want to go back to the creation. The fact that you and I exist and the fact that everything exists is because God, is because God spoke it into existence. It's created by Him, your creation of God. Our very worth and our value as believers comes from the fact that we are created in His image. There's something special about that, something significant about that. We might go to the covenant, the law of God, but we would probably run past that and go to the cross. The creation, the covenant, the cross. Because for us, everything changed because of the cross. That pardon and wrath was all seen on the cross, he mentioned in verse 2. The wrath was put upon him, the pardon, the mercy was granted to us. 
only accepted to those who believe, not universal salvation, but to those who come to believe this and accept this, and this becomes the operating principle of their lives. We could also look forward to the future. Our past is back there in those things, but the future is out here where he talks about the second coming. He's going to come back. He's going to have a kingdom on this earth, and we're going to be in his presence. We're going to help rule and reign in his kingdom, all that future. So whatever point you want, this is what we get when we study this, this book. We need to interact with him in this book because it takes us back to these high points. Do we want to think about our troubles? No, let's think about the fact that we're a creation of God. We'll think about our stresses in life. Let's talk about the covenant and the reality of God showed up. We want to deal with our guilt and our shame, or do we want to go back to the cross? Do we want to be worried about the future, or do we want to go back to the reality of what he said, this coming yet future, and that he's coming back someday? That the trumpet will sound, the voice of the archangel, and he shows, him, shows up in glory. So we mark these things by thinking about him. Now, verse 7, O Lord, you were displeased with rivers. Excuse me, ask the question. Lord, were you displeased with rivers? And was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? That seems a little strange. Were you mad at rivers and seas? Well, you think about this in the context of the Exodus. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. When Joshua went into the land, the River Jordan was blocked off, and they walked across that on dry land. So he's taking all this imagery back into their, their cultural and religious thinking and basically reminding them that God is God. God is big enough. God is bigger than anything you face. God is bigger than anything anyone could ever face. And for you, Habakkuk, God is bigger than the stresses you're, fear, you're facing and the fear that you just expressed back in verse 2. So whatever your fears, whatever your concerns, here's what you do. Stop focusing so much on your troubles, but look to your help. And the place you look is to the God who's revealed himself in the all-time bestseller of all times. This compilation of 66 books that are bound together that we call the Bible. We also revise you on occasion as part of our spiritual health. There's four ingredients, I think, for spiritual health and growth for a believer. Number one is to go to church. We gathered. You've gathered together this morning. If you joined us online, thank you for that. That we gather together to hear his word, that we worship, that we praise. And then secondly, we get alone with God, that we spend some time in this word daily so that we can be feasting on his truth, that we can be refreshed in his reality of who indeed he is. The other two we talk about, and I'm not going to share those with you, but you probably know them very well. Verse 9, your bow is made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. Again, that, that driving out those enemies. The mountains you saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. That occurs back in the, the, in the book of Joshua. They were fighting. They didn't have time to fill the battle. And God stopped the sun from moving across the sky and the moon from across the arc of the sky until they finished it because he's bigger than that. Verse 11, middle of the verse. At the light of your arrows they went and the shining of your glittering spear you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to neck. Selah. You saved your people and you defeated their enemies. You saved your people and defeated your enemies. Stop looking at the troubles and start looking toward the help. And we get that by this interaction with God. He continues that in 14. You thrust through with his, arrow, with, with his own arrows the head of his villages. You came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. 
Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walk through the sea with your horses through the heap of, of, of great waters. Now, the imagery gets a little deep here for our culture, but our understanding. But he's talking about just an over, like an overwhelming flood, that you flooded this place and you did everything you wanted to do. Then I heard. Now, here's his reaction. After all that thing about thinking about the Exodus, thinking about the waters being parted, thinking about the plagues on Egypt, thinking about God's strength, him showing up like the, the glorious sun shining bright as he talked about back in verse 4 and so forth. Here's his reaction. When I heard, my body trembled. When I heard all this about you, my body shook. Compare that to verse 2. Oh, Lord, I heard your speech and was afraid. When I heard what you were going to do, I was trembling out of fear. But now that I have focused my mind on who you are and what you can do, now I shake out of awe because of wonder, because of your power. I am just rocked back by how big God is. Friends, if we do not spend quality time with God in his word, God in our minds and our hearts is going to grow ever smaller, ever weaker, ever less significant in our lives. The opposite is true. If we spend quality time with God in his word, our view of him grows ever larger, ever more full, ever more worthy of our trust. You've done a very good thing this morning by gathering this place to sing songs of, like Shout to the Lord that we sung a few moments ago, to sing these great songs, to come and to pray and to give and to serve and to be here with God's people and then to look into his word. So this trembling is different. It says, my lips quivered at, at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself that I may rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the, to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He's shaking now because of the awesomeness of God, knowing God's going to do this, and it's kind of overwhelming to him. If you want to reach a place, you want to reach a place of spiritual refreshment and emotional healing and an encounter to God, spend time with him going through this book reading, learning. Make sure you hit those seal points where you stop and think. You meditate, you pray. Now, the culmination of the book, the pinnacle of the book is in 17, 18, and 19. This is where it gets to faith. This is where it gets good. This is the fun part, okay? The, the, we kind of save what we would say is the best for last. Though the fig tree may not blossom. By the way, in their world, if the fig tree didn't blossom, they were going to have a crop of figs that year. They're going to have, not going to have olive oil it's going to be an economic disaster. Nor fruit on its vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, that sounds like a second kind of disaster. So he begins by saying, if things get as bad as they could get, let me describe it. No olives, no food in the field. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. So the livestock and the crops all failing and in trouble. And there be no herd in the stalls. <laughs> you say, Jess, how is this encouraging? Well, he's setting that as a relief for what he's about to say. Because he's now reached the point where he's confident in God. And notice what he says here. And I want you, I'm going to read 18 and 19, and I want you to listen to the personal pronouns. Okay, that's key to this whole, whole understanding. Where he describes himself the personal pronoun. I'll try to, I'll try to verbally under, underscore them. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. There's seven personal pronouns in two verses. 
This brings us to number two. Yes, we need to stop looking at trouble and look toward our help. We need to start looking at our personal connection to God. He finally reaches this point to say, you know what? I am his and he is mine. Yes, what if the olive crop fails? And for us, we'd probably create some other scenario if we were thinking about what would be a disaster in our world. But what if everything falls apart? What if there's no, no cattle in the stalls and the flocks are scattered? What, what if all this, this tragedy falls upon us? Here's the one thing I know. Here's the one thing I'm going to stand on. Here's the one thing that's going to bring me through. I am his and he is mine. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I've said this before. I want to say it again because I want to remind myself that it's true. If the only thing God did for us was save our souls, that would be more than enough for us to worship him and serve him and praise him forever. But you know what? He does enter into this life that we're now living to help us to grow, to change us, to provide for us, to bless us. And he simply says, Lord, I've got you. Here's where faith really enters in. You know that God is yours and you know that you are his. The Lord is my strength, verse 19. He will make my feet like deer's feet. Well, what is it about deer's feet? I had studied this before, so I had this concept in my mind. But uh, about uh, five years ago, Julie and I went to Israel. And one of the places I wanted to visit was En Gedi. It's a national park in Israel today. En Gedi is where David hid out from Saul. That's where he was in the cave and so forth. And it's the, the, the waters from up in the Judean plateau flow down this little ravine, this little uh, canyon-like. And since there's water flowing, there's lush vegetation, almost sort of like tropical jungle-like along the walls of this canyon. You get out of the canyon, it's just desert. So it's like this sort of canyon oasis, and that's where he stayed. And uh, I looked on our itinerary. We were not going to stop at En Gedi. I was like, what a bummer. I really wanted to go to En Gedi. Well, we were going down on the bus, and finally it was decided that we needed to take a bathroom break. So we pulled into the National Park Welcome Center at En Gedi, and uh, everybody jumped out to do what they needed to do. I jumped out with my camera, and I thought, I'm going to take some pictures because I'm, I'm not going to go up in the canyon, but I want to get what I get. And uh, I found this little guy, and you can see the picture in front of you here, over under a little tree, and you can see how it's very aired, a few little things sticking up there. And that was, that's an ibex, a wild goat. That's the deer of Habakkuk. Okay, it just, you know, looks like a nice-looking little wild goat, right? And uh, I did not get my camera switched from still picture to video quick enough because right after I took this picture, this little goat goes over the tree and jumps up in the tree and starts walking up one of the limbs of the tree and then jumps up on a higher limb and walks up the tree. And I'm saying, like, this is like magic. I couldn't climb that tree and come out of there without something broken, I'm sure. And he's just walking on this thing because they are absolutely sure-footed. They can walk up the canyon, walk up the rocks, and they just never slip. They just have this perfect balance. They don't fall. They don't slip. They don't tumble off into the abyss. And Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 19, suddenly was right there in front of me. You come to this conclusion that I'm not going to focus on the problems. I'm going to focus on the reality of my help. My help is in God. I focus on this reality that I'm connected with him. And he says, Lord God is my strength. He will give you enough strength. He will give me enough strength to live with whatever hardship we have until he gets us out of this place and gets us home. 
Doesn't mean it's all going to be roses. Doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. Even if the crops fail, it's still going to be okay. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. Not slipping, not falling, sure, solid, stable. He will make me walk on the high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Go and sing this. And may we go and sing this every day. I take you simply back to what we need to rehearse in our minds right now. And we need to rehearse in our minds frequently. This is what will bring some emotional healing to you, frankly. This is what will bring some spiritual refreshment to you, frankly. Just to remind yourself through these words or whatever words you can find of your own or in the scriptures that he is mine. 146 years ago, a writer by the name of George W. Robinson penned a hymn. Some of you may know it. I'm just going to read third stanza of it. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. We know it because he said it. May we continue to sing it. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you, and the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.